Abba Yahweh, again, coming before you, so thankful for your sharing your truth, your knowledge and your wisdom so that I can share with anyone that has an ear to not only hear the words, but listen to what I speak in your message, Father, coming from your word, your truth, your knowledge and your wisdom that you wish to impart to them and that you have given me the opportunity to be a conduit to do so, Father. Abba Yahweh Aman, Prakritos Aman, Hashu Aman. So I was thinking about this and, and I get really stirred up about it because quite honestly, I'm sick and tired of watching all these very mealy mouth, <clears throat> it, it, I have to be cautious because you can tell that I'm, it's agitating and it is, but I'm going to read with you um, from first, I'm going to read with you um, my study over here and then in my morning reading, my, it's a devotional reading and, um, and then I'm going to get in and, and share with you why I'm so stirred up. Um, so this is comes to, and we're going to also, I'm going to share with this with you a little later. Uh, we're looking at Ephesians 6, specifically verse 17. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It has been called the word of God, the bread of life, the sword of the spirit. And we are told that that is part of the armor of God that he gives to us to put on. And when Jesus came up from the river after being baptized, he had been fasting for 40 days. And then that coward Satan said, eh, it's okay, I'm going to go myself because he's got too much power and authority for any of you, my demons, to handle. So I'm going to go myself. Well, he found out that exactly how much power and authority he had because Jesus thwarted him at every turn and opportunity he had. And how did he do that? Did Jesus just hold his hand up and said, devil begotten? No, he did not. Satan came at him, and I've shared this with you before, so this is why you really need to be careful and cautious, because you have apologetic pastors and elders in the church that are not arming you correctly, they're not teaching you correctly, and you are going out ill-advised, ill-prepared, and this is why I share with you, it's very important. Yes, we need to go and be a part of the Great Commission. Yes, we need to go and share the word of God with everybody that we possibly can. But as Jesus told us, and is very important, I didn't get a chance to share this because I got really carried away um, the other day. Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the imbuing of the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit would come and fill them up and they would be ready to go, but they needed to wait on that. There's nothing wrong with that. Wait upon the Lord. We're told, David reminds us 15, 18 times through the book of Psalms. You can go through the book of Psalms in many places and find where David is telling us to wait on the Lord. Abide in the Lord. 
Be still and wait. Isaiah tells us this all the time. Be still and know that the Lord God is with you. What does he tell us? Be still and know. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and never faint. But you have to wait. Sometimes you have to wait. And you get people that get all keyed up and they get all anxious and they want to go out ill-prepared. So Jesus, in his confronting Satan, had been fasting, but his authority also, and Satan in his arrogance had completely forgotten that Christ Jesus is the word of God. John reminds us of that in John 1. John 1, 1, and then you read through the first nine verses and it reminds us exactly where Jesus came from, who he is, reminds us not only of the divinity of Christ Jesus, but also reminds us that he is the very word of God. And so Satan, and I've also shared this with you, that Satan does know scripture. And I'm sharing with you truth. I'm not sharing anything blasphemous. I'm not sharing with you anything dark or anything whatsoever like that. I'm telling you the truth. Satan does know scripture. How do I claim that? Well, Satan used to live in heaven before he got the boot and kicked out. Remember what Jesus tells us in Luke 10? I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He was there when that happened. Satan used to live in heaven. The demons that are with him and working for him and about his business used to be there as well. Do you think that any time that they were moving around in heaven and did not hear the word? If you think that that happened, then you need to read the scriptures some more. So Satan came and he tried to, he didn't directly use scripture against Jesus, but he tried to tempt Jesus in several different ways. And what did Jesus do? He pulled Rima from Logos. Remember, that's two Greek words. They basically mean the same thing, but one can mean, depending on the context of how it's used, it could mean the armory, and the other one is the sword. Logos is the armory, Rema is the sword. Jesus Christ pulled a specific word out and told the word. Three times he told Satan that, and the word said, and the word said, and the word said three times, and he gave it to him. It's like, uh, you know, in boxing, that would be like the left cross, right cross, and then the uppercut. After that shot, Satan was like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. I got to go. And off he went because he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the truth. He couldn't handle the word of God. He couldn't handle the authority of Christ Jesus. Then the angels came and ministered to him. So, that being said, I'm going to get off into this, uh, into this word further. And we notice and find this, that the Bible, God's word, is referred to as a sword, the sword of the Spirit. 
And we're reminded of this in, in a number of scriptures, but specifically I'm sharing Ephesians 6 with you. And not only can it be used as a weapon for defense, but not that we're going to go out and slash everybody all up with it. That's not the point. That's not the point. But what we do have to know and understand and realize and believe and have faith in is that this sword, the rima, that God forges for us, and for those that prophesy and believe in prophecy and share prophecy, engage in prophecy, that is specific word of God. Specific individuals are concerned and it's for a specific purpose. The direct word of God, not just reading through the Bible and then you go out and you, and you share and teach. But prophecy is a specific word of God that he gives to you and you go to share with somebody. But you don't go running down the aisle, flailing the sword around. I got a word, I got a word. Hey, hey, Bob, 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 Bob. <laughs> That's not appropriate. Neither is it acceptable. When you prophesy and you share this with somebody, it's something that should be revered and that you do it with holy respect because it's coming from the throne of God directly. Ruach Elohim, the breath of God. So it's very powerful and God himself makes this. And you know that Satan is not in any way, shape, or form, a match for the truth, the word of God. That was shown to us when he tried to confront Jesus and tempt him every which way he could, but it didn't work. And that power of the sword, that power of the truth, also gives us power and authority to be delivered from worry, from fear, from envy, Lusts, I mean, we all have issues with that. All of us do. And there is that power, but we sometimes will forget that. So this is what brings me to what I want to share. Apologies are a good thing. But oftentimes they're ill-used. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that, as I shared here with you, that we have, oftentimes we come under attack and Satan attacks us and tries to uh, get us all caught up in worry, fear, envy, lust, and he comes up and he tries to uh, keep boxing you or pour out that white noise interference and get you to believe that God doesn't want to hear from you because look what you've done now. Look what you've done. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You can't possibly go to God now. You couldn't possibly go to God now. Well, sometimes we do exactly that. We believe the devil over the word of God. What does the word of God say? Well, 
the word of God tells us that we come before him all the time. And look at David. Okay, an example here. Let's go back to the book of Psalms. 150 chapters that David has written, specifically numbered. However, you go through and there are some where there's 15 or 20 subchapters, I guess you'd call them, but they have different titles and they're not numbered. But it's there are specific poems that David had written to God, for God, of God. But we go, and David was not a perfect man. And I've shared this with you before. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that David was perfect. What it does say is that God told Samuel that David is a man after my own heart. God called him that. Not somebody that made up a nickname. Oh, this is going to be our new king. We're going to call him man after God's own heart. And then he's going to be powerful. We'll have that, we'll have that emblazoned on his breastplate or whatever. It didn't happen like that. God told Samuel, who was the prophet, who was going to anoint David and give him the crown of Israel. Because Saul had proven himself to be a miserable failure and turned against God, turned his back on God and wouldn't follow the word of God. And David, in spite of the things that he did, he always went to the place that he knew that he should be, to the throne of God in prayer and apologizing, repenting. Apologies are a good thing, but oftentimes ill-used. What does that mean? Well, that means that when you apologize for something, for some ill that we've done toward someone or said to someone, and we go to God that we, he knows, he knows that we're weak, and as long as we come to him, we're showing strength in the spirit. And that's what we should do. We should go to God all the time. And it doesn't matter how many times you go. The devil wants you to believe that God doesn't want to hear from you again. Goodness gracious, that's a fifth time today that you need to go to. And he gets in your head and he starts getting you to think that God doesn't want to hear from you again because here you've fallen down again. Well, Satan's a liar. And this is not the truth because God always wants to hear from you. When you go to him, you are denying yourself and you are worshiping him and lifting him up and giving him that which he deserves, worship and glory. And by going that, we're showing strength in the spirit. And do not allow yourself to become prey of he who is in the world and believe his lies that ultimately keep us distant from our father who is in heaven. 
And it's important that we think on this, listen on this, and hear the words, but listen to the message because Christ Jesus teaches us when he was uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew shares it and wrote this in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. We can go over there. We can see this. It's called the Lord's Prayer. There are some theological gurus and some really good theological scholars that have called it that because that's what it ultimately is talking about. But I'm going to take it a little a little bit different. I'm, first, I'm going to read through it because this is what Jesus teaches. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. So we don't have to keep reminding him over and over of that same thing. So while we're praying for that one thing, offering up the prayer of supplication to the father on behalf of someone else, you don't have to tell him 8, 10, 12 times because God's not deaf. God doesn't wear hearing aids. He doesn't need them. And you don't have to keep telling him 8, 10, 12 times of the same thing over again that you're praying for. And sometimes I hear people when they pray and you have this prayer group and they're going around, they, they don't know what to pray. They don't know how to pray. And that's okay because the scripture tells us that the spirit will give utterance. If you don't know what to pray, wait. There's nothing wrong with just being silent and waiting. But, you know, sometimes they see the prayer group and they're going around and, you know, they want to jump in there and they want to start praying. And then when you listen to what they're praying for, they say eight, ten times the same thing over and over and over again. And yet the scripture right here tells us not to be that way. Not that what they're doing is bad, that they're just, they don't understand. And that's okay. It is okay. So we pray for them for strength and understanding. And I do so. And I actually love the person because a very powerful prayer and spend a lot of time in prayer, probably a lot more time in prayer than, than I do and that I ought to get into that much more. But regardless. So Jesus says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Well, so we don't pray exactly how, Jesus isn't telling us that. Not exactly that we don't do it verbatim and word for word exactly how it is here. Instead, when we pray, that it's inclusive. And that we need to be close to God. And Satan doesn't want us to be close to God. He wants us to be distant from our Heavenly Father. Christ teaches us with the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew 6, 19, 13, that the Lord's Prayer, and not necessarily the verbatim, as I just shared with you, but always inclusive of praise. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, Abba Yahweh. I know that you're there. You are holy, you are holy, you are holy. Which he is, so you acknowledge that. And here's the next thing. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. It's his will to be done. Not that simply because you're coming and praying for something that it's going to get done. Now we come with heavenly uh, faithful expectations of God because if we are praying righteously, that God likes that and he will answer prayers and he does. But we have to also understand This is what I'm talking about. We have to understand that it's God's will be done, not ours. And sometimes God decides not to answer the prayer right now, later on. But we get agitated because he didn't answer our prayer right now. We get caught up in this. And this is that thing that that the, uh, the prince of the air loves to get us wrapped up in. Got to have it now. Got to have it now. Now, 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 now. I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. Goodness gracious, we can get online and we can shop. And we have we can have groceries in our house in the very afternoon that we place the order. You don't have to get out and go. Um, admittedly, I find this to be very convenient because I, I have no way of getting around much anymore. I don't have vehicles at my disposal, but... Beside the point, people get caught up in getting everything right now. God will sometimes have you wait. Remember, there we go to that scripture again. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Wait and know that he is the Lord thy God. Be patient. Wait patiently in him. Wait patiently on him. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not your will be done, not according to your timeline, but his will be done. And then it says, give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? His word, the truth. Remember, I've shared this with you before. And Jesus Christ is actually called and been given that analogy to him. He's the bread of life. He's the word of God, the word of God. And John tells us in John 1, 1, starting at 1, 1 through 9. For the word was with God, the word was from God, the word was in God and with God. I'm going to go there specifically, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So there's several things that are going on right there in John 1, and then I'm going to jump back over to Matthew. So I hope you have your seatbelt cinched up tight. And keep your hands and feet inside this moving vehicle because I don't want anybody to get injured when we do these quick U-turns. So there in John, talking about the word, the truth, Jesus Christ, who was made manifest and came in flesh, So John is telling us several things. First, he's telling us where Jesus came from. He's giving us the divinity of Jesus Christ. And he's also sharing with us the mystery of Jesus Christ as being in the Father, of the Father, from the Father, from the onset, 
from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. What exactly does that entail? Go back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. So, herein is the mystery of God. Shown right there in Genesis and John 1.1. Jesus Christ is of the Father, from the Father, in the Father. And the Holy Spirit, from the beginning, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. So, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all together from the beginning, in the beginning, and there are those that want to teach that the Holy Spirit didn't show up until after the New Testament, Jesus was getting ready to leave. And when he declared that he would ask God to send a comforter for us, that's when the Holy Spirit showed up. Well, that's not scripturally accurate, nor is it truthful. So this is why I get agitated about those apologetic individuals. Now, back over here. So his word, the truth. And then it also reminds us, it says, forgive our debts as we forgive our debt horse. What does that mean? That means that we Ask God for forgiveness as often as it takes. But in doing that, we also have to pray for the strength to be able to forgive. And I've heard comments made several times, and I've even told God several times. And he, uh, he corrected me because he reminded me that that's not my authority. That's his. I just told him that I, I didn't see how I could forgive myself. And I hold on to things and, and see the devil loves that part too. He loves to get you to believe that that's okay to do. It's not okay. Because you do not, you do not have that authority to hold back on forgiveness for anyone, including yourself. Sometimes it's difficult to do, but that's why you come to God with your weakness and remind him, and he doesn't mind it, how weak you are and that you pray for his strength for the ability to be able to forgive. God will honor that prayer. Do not listen to Satan tell you that he will not and that he doesn't want to hear it. He's a liar. But that is very important that we honor that and we have to do that and we have to be forgiving of others. God forgave us. And there's other scriptures that remind us of how many times. We can go over to Matthew 18. We're going to jump over there. I believe that's the scripture that I would like to share with you. Uh, it is indeed. <clears throat> Pardon me. Peter comes to Jesus. And you can actually, uh, you can read this on here. I'm not going to read through this whole thing because I don't want to get, last few times I got carried away in the word and I love, I can't help that. I love to share the word of God. I love to share his truth. But I have this timer on this gizmo that I use and it's, um, if I don't heed that, then it goes red and it'll just shut off. 
So Peter comes to Jesus and asks him how many times if if a brother comes and is um, asked how many times that he should forgive. Um, here we go, and we got uh, 1821. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not and not unto thee, until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. Seventy times seven. Anybody know what that is right quick? Do the math. I believe that's Four hundred and forty. I, I, I'm old. I forget stuff like that. But basically, what Jesus is telling Peter is that as often as he comes and he asks you to forgive him, you don't put a number on the times that you forgive somebody. God doesn't do that with you. He does never put a number to it. So when Satan tries to convince you that you can't go to God again, you've already been to God five times this week and you're going to go back to God and oh my gosh, it's about the same thing that you did on Monday? Well, let me share this with you. God does not stand up there on Wednesday, put his hand on his hip and wag his finger at you and say, weren't you just here on Monday? Didn't you just ask me on Monday about this? God never does that. He looks at you, he'll smile at you, and then he grabs you and he puts his godly arms around you and he gives you this big old mishmash hug and it makes you cry. It does me. Every time God comes to spend time with me and so <laughs> here we go. Sometimes Sometimes God will just put his hand on my shoulder to let me know that he's with me and that what I'm sharing is good. And then sometimes he comes in and he just puts his arms around me and he gives me this big old God hug. And then I just start blubbering and I start leaking out. And you've heard me do that before. I, I, can't, I can't not interrupt what I'm sharing. I can't stop. And I can't tell God, come on, come on, God, let me, let me. Get to this. They're they're listening. Oh yeah, I'm going to tell my heavenly Father not to hug me and not to love me. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, apologizing for things that are apology is good. Apology is good, and apologizing is good thing, and that's asking for forgiveness. And God will forgive as often as we ask. And he will. He tells us he'll do that. But here is the apology that um, that is ill used. And it's done out of fear or where it's not warranted. 
Remember, I've shared this with you before, and I shared this back when we were closer to all that silly COVID stuff that was going on and all that fear pandering and, and all that that was going on. Fear is a very powerful tool. And I learned this in the military. I learned this scripturally, and I learned this from God. And Satan loves to use this. And one of his pseudonyms, by the way, I will remind you, one of Satan's pseudonyms is fear. That's, a, that's one of his names, one of his titles, one of his monikers that's used. And fear, I had a very dear earthly, what a, what a wonderful woman. Her, her and her husband are, she's passed on now. She's gone to heaven, had some things going on, but that's okay because she's whole, young and new. And when James is spending time with her, I mean, they're both beautiful. And I loved them both. They were very dear friends and close. But she had something that she wrote in her Bible. And I wrote it in my Bible. It was an anagram, actually, that she wrote down. And I didn't know that she had done it in hers. And when uh, James heard me talking about it, he said, oh, my gosh, she put that in her Bible. I said, really? He said, yeah, she's, she wrote it in the front of her Bible. And I wrote it in the front of my Bible, and I'm trying to locate it because I have some of these really nice blank pages up here in front, and I wrote all kinds of nifty notes in here that were from the Word of God and that my father shared, my earthly father shared with me, and my heavenly father shared with me. And it is also um, where she wrote hers. And the anagram that she came up with was false evidence appearing real. And that is exactly Satan. That's exactly what he does. He presents false evidence that appears to be real, and it appears to be so real that you become fearfully driven. Well, as I've shared with you before, when you allow that to happen and you allow fear to drive you, then you will respond to others inappropriately. You will respond to them not the way that you normally would or should respond. And that you're all going to allow fear to propel you. So these foolish, and I will use that word again, and I will emphasize again, these foolish ministers and elders that will apologize. See, this works me up, and this is, uh, this is what's known as righteous indignation because I'm not going to get all crazy. I'm not going to throw names out, and I'm not going to do any of that, but I'm just speaking truth. When they become driven by fear, and they're so fearful that somebody is going to become offended by them sharing the truth, they will bend the truth. They will lie, and then they will apologize for the word of God. Whoa, are you kidding me? The word of God who he presented and the, the apostles and others, the prophets, were given the Holy Spirit and the breath of God breathed into them, so they wrote these scriptures. And then you're going to have these 
arrogant, self-righteous individuals that become fear-promoted, and they're going to apologize for the word of God and the truth so that others do not become offended by what they say. Uh, that's pretty weak. And I'm speaking directly to them. And that they find within their weakness, they apologize for the word of God or the content of his word. And they're not asking for forgiveness from God. They are apologizing to man and mammon for expressing the truth through the spirit that comes from God. The Huach Elohim, the spirit, the breath of God. They're apologizing for that and for God and for Christ Jesus. Excuse me, when you apologize for the word of God, remember, go back to John 1, 1. The word was with God, of God, from God. And they're talking about Jesus Christ and he was manifest and he became the light and came into the darkness. Talking about Jesus Christ. So when you're apologizing, you're apologizing for Jesus Christ. You're apologizing for the word of God. And you're apologizing for the Holy Spirit because you don't want to offend someone because of what God says in the Bible? Whew. Yeah, so I get a little, you think I'm a little worked up? Oh, yeah. So they apologize for his word. And let me go specifically, I'm going to talk about the whole armor of God. They apologize for speaking about the armor of God because they apologize for it being too militaristic. Well, let me tell you this about being a member of the military. I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years and we had what we called body armor. It wasn't anything. Well, yeah, it was very similar actually. So body armor could entail a lot of things. It had knees, elbow, gloves, and the body armor and the helmet. So when you were out doing some of the stuff that I was doing, you didn't wear all kinds of stuff. You had unlimited body armor, but you always took it. And that doesn't mean that you were always going out and going to attack something or, or be doing something. But many times when you were in a defensive posture, you still wanted to make sure that you had it because you never knew when the enemy was going to attack. And sometimes that happened. Well, here's the thing. The armor of God was made by him for us specifically, but you got to put it on. And we're shared, that is shared with us. And they apologized for the body of the armor of God. But we need to put that on because it's protective for us. And as true believers, it protects us from the onslaught of the enemy. And it comes to us in many different guises. The fiery darts and arrows, the breastplate of righteousness, our shield of faith. The helmet of salvation remind us and keep that white noise interference out, which those knuckleheads who are so busy apologizing, they took off that helmet of salvation and they have completely forgotten what that's about. So they start apologizing the rest of it. And then as they're up there on the podium, you can almost see them loosening the belts and straps and you can almost hear the clunking of that armor falling down 
on the stage surface as they apologize for the word of God and sharing the truth. So don't apologize for God because let me tell you, you keep doing that and it's it will not bode well for you because you are apologizing for God. You're apologizing for Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Wow. And those that apologize oftentimes that by listening to them they are speaking out of turn because the authority that they are grasping and claiming they have it's not given to them. You don't apologize for anything that's written in the Word of God. Nowhere in the Word of God do you find anywhere, anywhere, any scripture. And I've gone through the Bible from Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation, the very last verse. Nowhere have I ever found in the Bible where we are given authorization or authority to apologize for anything that God says, Christ says, or the Holy Spirit brings. Nowhere, nowhere is that given to us. And there are those that apologize. And when you listen to them or what they're talking about, they have no comprehension, true comprehension of what they're even sharing about. And they take things out of context. And you can tell that they have become afraid and they're being fearfully driven and they become reckless. There's an old saying that we used to use as a younger person. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Well, that's what they need to do. They really need to check themselves before they wreck themselves. So we're going to go back over to the book of Ezekiel, actually. And this is one of my favorite because this becomes a very centered, focused scripture on apologies. And that's because people don't even get it. They don't understand it. So if you read Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, it's that when the prophet Ezekiel goes to the Valley of Dry Bones and he is given direction by the word of God that he is to prophesy to these bones in the valley. And he comes in and he tells them. But I want you to hear the context of the scripture. This is the truth of Hachim. The Lord thy God, he speaks this. And he tells this to Ezekiel. That he goes in, and I'm going to read as much of this as I can because my time clock is clicking. <laughs> so we're going to jump into Ezekiel 37.2. And, well, now I'm just going to start one. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out into the spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. So now we're going to skip down there. That's just giving you a little bit of a, of a intro 
Ezekiel was taken to the Valley of Dry Bones and he was taken through the valley and the, the entire valley was full of dry bones and they were very dry. But then we're going to jump down in here in 3711 uh, as he was prophesying to the bones as he was told to prophesy and he was speaking to them. But then down here, we're going to jump in at 37 verse 11. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Wow. They gave up on their hope. They gave up on their faith. And they just gave up. For our parts, our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. The nation of Israel had just given up hope. But then I want to come back up. Ah, here we go. And uh, we're going to go back up one verse into Ezekiel 37.10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Okay, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because I have heard elders and I've heard one or two pastors who apologized for saying that. And they started to say it, then they caught themselves and pulled themselves back and said, oh, I'm sorry. And quickly they flipped a page and went to a different scripture. And I was thinking to myself, I said, well, how ridiculous is that? Of course, I didn't make a, a show of it, but I was thinking that, and it was something that needs to be prayed about because they're teaching, they're teaching deceiving word, and that hurts my heart. But Jesus warned us that that would happen. So why do I say that? Because what Ezekiel is talking about when he writes this down, an exceeding great army, he's not talking militaristically. He's not talking about they all jumped up with their shields and armor and swords and they're ready to go to battle, the greatest army. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a sheer number. Can you imagine going through this valley and in your vision seeing a valley full of bones? An entire valley full of bones? And then having them all to stand up? And remember when they came out of Egypt, what was that number? Uh, I'm going to say, forgot exactly now, but to also add to it, they had the sojourners, the strangers that were coming with them because they wanted to hear about God. They wanted to be someplace where they could believe in God. 600,000, 600,000. Where I'm living right now, I don't know what the city population is here now, but... Um, at one time, that was greater than this city population. And it's huge, 600,000, that's a lot of people. And take in and put in your uh, imagination, as you can, if you will, that you have 600,000 people of this city where I'm living, and they just decide, somebody comes up and says, okay, we got to go, we got to go now, we need to learn because of the Lord. And they all believe this person comes because they believe it's the word of God and God is directing them. So this 
one person is going to lead them out and break them up into um, tribal sections or whatever. And they just start marching down the highway. Okay, so let me jump up here now. I mean, I found this. I just, as a matter of interest, is it the population here in Fort Worth now? And this is, wow, this has increased a lot. My goodness gracious. So the population here is 935,000, give or take a few hundred. So 600,000. So if 600,000 of this city just took off and started walking down the highway, the city would be almost nearly deserted. So this is what Ezekiel is talking about, this, this number of people. It was a vast army. Just talking about the sheer magnitude of the number of people that had been risen up that he breathed the life into. The Spirit of God as he was directed to share with them Ruach Elohim, breath of God, was breathed into them and they stood up on their feet. So why apologize about God telling you that this vast number of people was so big that it was a massive army? And the other thing that they like to apologize for is Ephesians 6. Why? Well, I've heard elders that will interrupt a sharing because they've actually interrupted and said, "Oh, this is this is uh, this is too militaristic," and then they jump over some scriptures and they go and they take it out of context. Well, again, there's nothing militaristic about the full armor of God. Pardon me. And if you read Ephesians 6, 6 through 20, we are told not to serve with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be received of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. He doesn't care what you have, what you don't have. He doesn't care what you own or you don't own. And he doesn't care about the color of your skin. It's all about you are his child and forever I am and he loves me and he loves you. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in this power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the, the wiles of the devil. Why do you put on the armor of God? As I shared with you before, being in the military, it isn't to go out and waylay individuals and swing swords and bash heads. That's not what it's about. It's to it's a defensive 
You put on the helmet of salvation to protect your thought process and your mind to remind you that Jesus came for us and that the lies of Satan are not that that matters. The breastplate of righteousness, if what you do is righteous to God and you're sharing truth, it's okay. And the shield of your faith becomes that protection for you. And the sword of truth, which is the word of God. It's not to go out and sling and beg. What do you, when you go out, when you go out to testify and you go out to share with people and evangelize, what are you hitting people with the Bible? Or are you just opening the pages and sharing that scripture that possibly the Holy Spirit gave to you to share with somebody? Which happens if you pay attention. That's what this means. It doesn't mean that you're going out to do battle with everyone. It doesn't mean that. So uh, here we go. Put on the whole armor of God. In verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the people you're going out to evangelize and your, your neighbors that live next door or on the street that you encounter, but against principalities, demons and things that come from the spiritual realm, Satan and his lies, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why you put on the armor of God. It's got nothing to do with militaristic. It's not, not got nothing to do with, with uh, power stomping down the road and you're all marching in unison and you can hear the stomping of the feet. I mean, that's a powerful thing. If you've ever been in any foreign countries, their armies, when they parade them around, they like to do that. Why? Because, well, quite honestly, when you hear them all doing that, it's kind of a, a daunting. When you hear 10,000 walking down the road and they're in a military parade and you can hear the stomping of the feet for every step that they take, and there's 10,000, that's, that's, that's kind of a daunting exercise. But why are you apologizing for the militaristic analogy that's not even giving, given in Ephesians 6? There's nothing militaristic there. So you're not at all taking it in context. We're told in the word of God, that we are in a spiritual warfare for our souls, for our very souls. And I've shared this with you before. Satan wants your soul. He doesn't want you to be with God. And you say, well, why is that? Well, let me tell you, why is that? Because Satan used to live there. Satan used to live in heaven. Remember in Luke 10, Jesus Christ tells us, I saw Satan fall from as lightning from heaven. He saw them making a skyrocket, bombing, smoking, flaming, flame out, crash dive into out of heaven, into the earth and out of heaven. used to live there, is familiar with, and as are the demons, because his demons used to at one time be angels. 
and now they're twisted and maligned because they've done evil and they perverted that good and beautiful gift. And we are in a spiritual warfare with them for our very souls. In Romans 8, 37 through 39, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, put on the full armor of God. Protect yourselves, because that's what it's about. <clears throat> and we're going to we're going to go over to 2 Corinthians 4 thought I had that mark I guess I didn't I apologize for that but in 2 Corinthians 4 3 through 8 But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For that reason, we share the gospel and the truth, and we share that with others so that they will know that Christ is our Lord, and that this is what we are to do. And remember always too, we can find this in Second Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers, I'm going out, my coming in every day. Be blessed.